0: Hello and welcome to the Spirit Guy Society podcast. My name is Pedro Shanahan and I'm your Spirit Guy. Tonight in the Rum Society at Kanya Rum Bar in downtown Los Angeles, we had Samaroli in the house. Ooh, private selection rum. We had Chris Bittner walking us through the line. We tried the Demerara Dark from 2003. The Samaroli Caribbean Soul from 2017 and then the Barbados 2002. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you really need to check out our podcast. Tell your friends who want to geek out on the spirits they love. Rum Society, Mezcal Collective, Whiskey Society. What what what? Be sure to enjoy this podcast responsibly. That means don't listen to it while you're driving and set up a comparative flight on your dashboard. Totally dangerous, totally illegal. Please do it at home with friends. Or make some friends, or. Ihule. Dark Road. Spirits are for loving. Slow
1: clap, Chris. I missed the beginning. Oh my God. All right,
0: all right, all right. Slow clap can be so hard here at the Rome Society. I don't know why. Rum is still considered the best bargain in the liquor world, but this stuff that we're going to try tonight is some of the most unique and rare kind of rum on the market currently in America, and it is getting snatched up all over Europe. I know Samaroli going way back because I met Antonio Samaroli in what I believe was his first trip to America with the brand, which is over seven or eight years ago now. We were up in Hollywood at the Tironi, an Italian restaurant on Beverly Boulevard, there. They've got this great wine tasting room in the back. And I got to do this rum tasting. I don't even remember how I got invited, but I was like, what is this? An Italian guy that's like buying barrels of rum and he's like aging it in Scotland? And like, what? What the?
1: So, hello. Uh, I'm going to dull you with a fair amount of history right now. We
0: love history! We're the okay, Rum good, Society! Okay,
1: There's a lot to sort of unpack. The, the saving grace of this, of course, is that there is rum at the end, um, so bear with me as I do this. But yeah, as, as Pedro has aptly pointed out, um, at face value, I think it is sort of confusing. Why do we have an Italian company uh, meddling in scotch whiskey and rum? But there is a very specific historical reason for this. And it's important to sort of understand and contextualize uh, insofar as understanding our company is concerned. So World War II. Towards the end of the war in Italy, you have American and English occupation in the country. right? So this is, this is how whiskey is first introduced. Oh, yeah, sorry. I know this is, this is rum. We'll get to it. But I got to bore you with a little whiskey shit first. Don't so, be
0: so naked, Don't apologize ahead of time.
1: Hey, rum people are my people. I know that you know we're here to drink one thing, but we have to you know pay homage and respect uh, this sort of aspect of history. So, whiskey is introduced to Italy because of American and British occupation, right? So, for the first time ever, in the you know in the face of devastation that is World War II, to foreign you know occupants in their country, their many of their cities sort of in ruins. The Italians are like, well, fuck. But this whiskey shit is pretty good. I can get down with this. And then all of a sudden occupation ends and all the whiskey dries up. Obviously a sad day. But uh, the moment in time that happens right after is essential because one, it brings whiskey back and it's sort of uh, it is the reason for the independent bottling tradition that stems out of Italy. Because in the period following, uh, following the war, you obviously, you have the rebuilding of Europe. So you have the introduction of the Marshall Plan to Western Europe, uh, and in the, in the years that followed, some countries, more quickly than others, began to rebuild, economically stabilize, etc. Italy in particular doesn't just stabilize. Italy actually goes through an economic renaissance. If not, maybe renaissance is actually not even a good way to understand it. It is like the birth of the Italy that we kind of understand now. So if you think of all the sort of like glamorous sex appeal, the real fun lifestyle that we would associate with Italy today, it's born in this moment. Um, Because prior to this moment, you basically have the aristocracy and farmers. Um, It's a very dichotomous kind of society and is historically pretty poor. But in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, 70s it sort of uh, fizzles out, but in the 50s and 60s you have what they refer to as il miracolo economico or il boom. So this is the the, the economic miracle, the boom. Um, And this is where for the first time in Italy you have the the emergence of a true middle class. So there's mass migration from the south up into the north, the cities swell, Uh, this is where fiat kind of hits its second wave of importance, it puts the country on four wheels as they say, and within like an absurd amount of time, and I'm talking like four or five years, uh, the GDP doubles and Prior to this moment, maybe 2% I think uh, is, 2% of the population has things like a car, a television, a refrigerator. After this period of growth, four or five years, now 96% of the population has these things. That's fucking insane. That is an insane cultural pivot to happen in such a condensed period of time. And so it's the consumption of these sort of Western emblems that is essential to the Italians uh, and their cultural sort of significance of that moment, right? And Whiskey and the consumption of whiskey is very much a a social symbol. It is effectively to say hey I'm Italian and I've arrived Um, Now why whiskey comes back into the country is because there is no pre-established distribution channel bringing Scotch whiskey into Italy because as far as the Scots are concerned who the fuck drinks whiskey in Italy? So these guys had to be sort of self-starters and be entrepreneurial in their pursuit of whiskey and consequently this This dynamic arises uh, in a very favorable way for the Italians. So they're going through the throes of this wonderful economic period. The UK, comparatively, is hurting financially. So it sets up this very favorable buying dynamic. The scotch industry at this point is struggling. Why? Because they've had three years uh, during the war where they've had a hiatus from distillation. So in terms of laying away stock, all of this has been disrupted. And the only real big consumer of scotch at this point is the US but the US market is completely focused on blended Scotch whiskey. So single malt has taken this back seat. Also, very importantly, because there was a domestic tax levied uh, on people in the UK, and so all of a sudden, like, Scotch, which is this domestic treasure and consumed more regularly, is now skyrocketed in price. So the Scots being the resilient uh, drinkers that they are, said, no, fuck it. I just tried vodka for the first time, and that's dirt cheap. I'm, I'm fine with my vodka. Thank you very much. Um, so the Italians walk into... a terrible the, decision. <laughs> I think it's pretty fucking... It's pretty fucking ice cold. But, and very, like... Uh, it's it's very Scottish. but they So the Italians walk in like kids in a candy store, right? Everyone's concerned. You know, if you're making money, it's all about blended whiskey. All of a sudden, single malt is readily available, and these people are like, Fuck, I need to sell this. So the Italians walk in, envelopes full of Lira, and they're like, yeah, fuck it, boom. I had my pick of the litter. Um, Importantly, it's not only that they found stuff that was pre-war stock that was reserved for post-war export, they also kind of pioneered this this new approach to whiskey which was bottling whiskey very, very young. So, Glen Grant, very famous space Eye distillery. Um, There's a bottling, Glen Grant Five Year, which is produced for and sold exclusively in Italy. And its in and of itself, its existence, is sort of like this vestigial thing that arises from this dynamic. Why? <laughs> Glenn Grant is about is basically on the verge of closing. Italians enter, they're like, hey, we want whiskey. Glenn Grant's like, sorry guys, like I ain't got shit for you. Come back to me in a few years, hopefully I'm still here. Italians like, nah, no, fucking no, no, cool, let me see this fucking whiskey you got. And they're like, ah, oh, perfect. Great. Here's cash. Wow well, oh okay here you go and Glenn grant is actually totally rejuvenated by the Italian buying market now you know fast forward many years later it's owned by Campari group and obviously you know their history is very entwined um, so Silvano is one of these entrepreneurial Italians that enters the market in this moment um, does it initially sort of as a passion project he's at this point a small-time importer uh, dealing with also wine but then obviously has you know gets on with the scotch craze and his business sort of grows very, very organically from there. You know, by his initial bottling is all Cadenhead stuff, brings that back, it's met with a like positive reception, so people encourage him to continue, and so slowly and incrementally he begins to expand his business. And it's not till many, many years later where his business is full-blown, you know, full we're the first non-British, non-Scottish independent bottler in history, so he's obviously a pioneer in that respect, but it's not until late, later into the, 80s, the late 80s where someone introduces him to rum because he's traveling to and from the UK and Italy quite frequently at this point. And when someone introduces him to rum, we're talking about like a quintessential romantic ass Italian man. He's like, oh my fucking god, rum is the best thing I've ever tasted. All of the world must wait now. I'll be back in a couple months. But a couple months turns into a couple years and this is why we have rum from us as, we, as it exists today. Um, he basically goes to the Caribbean and he's sort of a student again. He's found this new awakened passion in the same way that he once did with his whiskey. Uh, but now he's like traveling between the islands and he's familiarizing himself with rum as a category. Uh, and sort of partly, it's like part ingenuity, part practicality, he starts bringing this back to Scotland because that's where he's already aging his whiskey. So what we have today is now, you know, contemporarily referred to as continentally aged rum. Uh, So this just means we are taking these rums out of the country of origin and bringing them to a full maturation in Scotland. Obviously then we are benefited by this uh, elasticity of time. You can't really achieve a 24 year old cask strength rum in the Caribbean. Or if you do, there is sort of a lot of redemptive process and control that you're going to have to manage this rum with if if it's at all possible. Um, The profile necessarily changes. It is an extremely elegant representation of rum. Um, To me, it is the best rum in the world. I'm obviously biased, but had this feeling prior to working for the company for what it's worth. Um, And that's effectively it in a nutshell. But Silvano, importantly, passed away a couple years ago. And the company nearly died with him. Um, But as you mentioned before, Antonio Blevè, my boss now, um, fits in in an important way because his father, Anacleto, was also an entrepreneurial Italian in in that moment that I've explained in depth before. Sorry again. Um, And he owned a a restaurant that was like, sort of uh, very, very wacky and unique in its time where he was like selling olive oil, he was selling spirits, eventually he started serving lunch, then he started serving dinner, etc. cetera, um, and is arguably like uh, the pioneer in terms of the gastronomic scene in Rome today. Um, and he was an early, early, early uh, purchaser of Sam Rolli and effectively became an informal kind of consultant to the company. And so for many years, he and Silvano were like-minded enough that they could bicker about these things and, like, argue at an intellectual level about the quality of wine or olive oil or spirits, what have you, Um, but sort of, you know, grew with the company necessarily. By the 90s, Anacleto Bleve owns four restaurants and is buying over 1,000 bottles of samaroli a year. And so Silvano, having no child, having no sort of heir apparent, uh, decides, okay, either this company can live and die with me or I can pass it on to someone that can preserve my philosophy and preserve my approach to spirits. And so Anacleto was sort of a a necessary conclusion insofar as that thought is concerned. Um, But Anacleto, being the free-spirited ass motherfucker that he is, was like, nah, I'm trying to open up an olive oil business, um, but I have a son. And enter Antonio Bleve, um, who I think was around my age when he began with the company and effectively underwent nearly a decade's worth of apprenticeship under Silvano, who stayed on with the company until his dying day.
0: So an Italian company buying single barrels of rum from different distilleries in different islands and then aging them in Scotland and doing some different cask finishes as well, no? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. it's situational. So we approach each spirit, Italians are Italians, right? So each spirit is like a living thing. Like my boss will refer to one as like being a little brother and this is why, okay, this is why he blended it with this so it can fight with the older brother and... Yes, each spirit is approached individually and almost uh, in a human kind of capacity. So they
0: go and they buy these single barrels and then age them in Scotland, but these are like truly unique. Like single barrel means that there's only one barrel in the whole world. They do these very limited releases. If you see them on the shelf, they've got these beautiful artisanal um, labels and it's all super limited release, limited edition releases. So let's get into it, because they're all very unique. Even at any distillery you go to, when you talk about a single barrel, you're talking about these, like, jewels. Like, you can find barrels that are so antithetical in terms of flavor profile from what the distillery is kind of known for or what people think of the DNA of a certain distillery as being. And so you guys pick out these barrels that are, like, outliers. They're, like, fantastic. But when you think about it, oh, like, this is from you know, the uh, W.I.R.D. distillery in Barbados. Like, Whoa, it doesn't taste like anything I've had from Barbados. This Mm -hmm. is totally different. Let's get into it. These are really unique, super rare. So what do we have here? What's this first expression?
1: So the first expression that we have is the 2003 Demerara Dark. This is from the Diamond Distillery. Uh, The Diamond Distillery, they are the same producers uh, for El Dorado. Uh, This is the sole surviving distillery in Guyana. Uh, Late 1600s, you have upwards of 300 distilleries, and slowly, over time, they amalgamate, they consolidate. Uh, And into the 90s, you had three. It was Outflup, Enmore, and and Diamond. And Diamond has inherited the historic stills from the now-defunct distilleries and is the sole producer out of Guyana.
0: Beautiful. And do you know, uh, are the... Which of the stills at diamond distiller are they using for this, or is this a blend of I don't. Several so weeks.
1: that is something, so over the course of the year that I've had uh, with the company, it's, a, it's an effort for me to, to kind of draw out as much information as possible, because uh, Italians have a very different sort of approach to things that, than me or than others. Um, <laughs> and also, second, like that's my sort of generous opinion on it, the, but a second very kind of important point is that oftentimes when we do buy casks, it's it's a conditional kind of transaction. So we don't list distillery information, not in an effort to deprive consumers, but rather because some distilleries will only sell their cask if that is agreed to, if you will not disclose this information. So it's a, you know, there are some stones that I can turn and I'm trying to turn them. Uh, and maybe if I'm here at the same time next year, I'll have more information in that re- in that respect. And this is a
0: really rare tasting because these guys don't really do that many public tastings because the value of what they're selling is so high. that To pour it out for free for a bunch of strangers who may or may not be wanting to buy a bottle. It's not very good business model in most people's opinions, but passion overtakes good sense sometimes. So let's all taste this together. The Samaroli 2003 Demerara dark rum. Stick your nose in that glass. Breathe in gently through your mouth. What are you reminded of? Because these are really high ester, really a lot to offer, meaning there's big fruit flavors going on here. It's dense, it's old, so those flavors can kind of compress in the barrel. What are you guys reminded of? Share your opinion. There's no wrong answers. French toast. French toast, blueberries. Toffee
1: pudding.
0: Toffee pudding, fancy. (laughs) What else? Caramelized bananas. Caramelized bananas, that's what I was getting too, kind of like a bananas foster or like really ripe bananas, like to the point where you kind of already can smell the sugar and the ripeness of the banana. Anybody else? Damn, y'all are mad sophisticated. <laughs> We're fancy, and fancy no one's even smoking uh, cigars. California. Like usually, Rob's the say we've got like three or four people are smoking cigars by now, so they're like, "I get tobacco." <laughs> <laughs> now you're smoking a cigarette yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Why Geez, not? Geez, uh, well, I, there's plenty of reasons why not.
1: Uh, <laughs>
0: Fucking, that's the flip side
1: of California.
0: All right. So tap it over your tongue. So other things come up. And is this? Do you guys water your rum down to proof for bottling? Or you just go straight out of the barrel into so the bottle. So we do.
1: Yeah. So we do dilute some of our bottlings, and it's again a very. It's every bottling has its own sort of s- specific uh, lifespan. Um, if something is in our estimation, it is balanced at at cast strength, fantastic. Then we'll bottle it at cast strength. However. Uh, Silvano was also of the opinion that it's very easy to hide the the flaws of any given spirit should you bottle it at a higher proof, right? And so he was, uh, later as he saw sort of specifically the whiskey industry change, he was of the opinion that no, his selection was paramount. So he would bring it to a proof where you would not be able to hide any potential inadequacy of the of the whiskey or the spirit, um, and instead really supply in an optimal experience. So he would consider it to be optimum strength. Um, so you'll see stuff from us that is uh, 50, 52, you'll see higher than this, um, but then also you'll see stuff that's at 43, 45. Um, typically we're not falling be- below 43 unless something is in excess of like 30 to 40 years old.
0: So, Urban's telling me this is the 90 proof expression Demerara dark rum from the Diamond Distillery. I'm getting that French toast all the way, Josh. It's really, really good. That maple syrup comes through really strong, kind of a burnt egg. Thing and this going is on.
1: 318 bottles produced total. Um,
0: 318 total, and we're drinking one of them here tonight at this bar right now.
1: Yeah. So, that sometimes. Make you guys happy? It, it will. <laughs> You don't have to be. Sometimes it will feel as though, like we are a small ass company, I am the third person in this company, um, and it will feel as though obviously we are sort of withholding in terms of it being pricey and things like this, but really my boss is of the opinion where he values this and treasures these bottles so much that every time if I were to take one as a sample, Mm -hmm. say, uh, then in his estimation we've taken it out of the hands of a customer. Now, obviously, in this dynamic, I I think this works, right? More people get to experience it, and we we accomplish something greater. But it's it's oftentimes that kind of sentiment that goes into it. Um,
0: well, I think we're trying to feed some of that same rum crazy they have in Europe right now, right here in America. Yeah, absolutely. We're sophisticated too, just because we don't have an accent. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so 318 stupid. bottles for a barrel raises the question: <laughs> What kind of gas, Because you're bigger than a
1: hogshead. Uh, no, that would have been that would have been a hogshead.
0: Really, really special juice.
1: Yeah, this one I find also particularly interesting, and feel free to disagree, but uh, as far as Demerara's go, this has a really nice pronounced licorice note on the palate, which I find to be really intriguing because that's not fucking normal at all. Um, So you you get the sort of very classic Demerara molasses driven, very elegant profile, but it only sort of comes through later and you really hit with that licorice up front.
0: Let's uh, pass out that second mark, yeah? So Josh is going to come around with his second mark here. Now, how did you? You say you're the third employee of this very small Italian company buying two barrels of rum and whiskey. How did how did it happen for you? What's your story? Ooh, I didn't think I would tell this story.
1: Um, the short version of that is an That was Urban's idea. It was <laughs> urban asked him like. The the short version of that story is an Italian guy walks into a bar. The long story is basically I was managing a bar in New York. Uh, Antonio came in for a tasting, um, so you met him actually probably in the, like you said like his that would have been his first trip uh, to the U.S., um, which he speaks about with me constantly because his mind was blown after this. Um, but we just sort of uh, we had a tasting. He could tell that I was uh, like enthralled with everything that he was showing, and I was just like. I didn't know, you know, it's like I knew Sam really by name, kind of, but then sat down for this tasting. And then at, by the end of it, it was like, I was starstruck and I like, couldn't look at him. So I was like, oh my God, this shit is dope. What did you just bring me? I feel shame. And like, <laughs> then he like, you know, very generously came up to me and gave me the ends of one of these sample bottles that he had. And I was like, oh my God, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And he goes, okay, Chris, so maybe tomorrow I come for dinner. And I was like, all right, like, that would be dope. Um, I don't believe you, because you like, went to 11 Madison Park earlier today, and like you definitely had better options than my bar. Um, thank you, sir. But nevertheless, he came back the next day. He had dinner. Uh, I So I was out on the phone. I'm on the phone with my dad, blah, 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 shooting the shit, smoking a cigarette, and I see Antonio, big Italian guy, bald beard, Sport coat, scarf, you know, tied up real tight, comes over, he's wearing, uh, under his sport coat, he's got a white shirt, and he's got a big red sauce stain in the middle. And he comes over, he's waving from across the street, he walks over, he goes, Chris, ciao, I had the very good lunch. And then I was like, all right, this guy's fucking fun, all right, let's see how this goes. And so then he and I both smoked, so came in and it was like coffee, okay, cigarette, then it was cocktail, then cigarette, then cocktail, then cigarette. He ends up spending five, six hours there, uh, and we just became fast friends. And at the end of it, I bought him dinner. And little did I know um, that this like struck a chord with him. And then uh, when I gave him the bill that says zero, he was like, he's like, no, I need the bill. And I'm like, that is your bill. Like, dinner's on me. Chris, you can come outside. And I was like, yeah, of course. And he's like, Greece, I am so happy. I could cry. And then I was like, oh, dope. Like, mission accomplished. Like. Did the right thing, but then he was telling me that in his, you know, in his whole time in the U.S., no one had ever sort of like bought him something in this way. And I was like, Wow, really? Okay. Uh, and then I had planned a trip to Rome many many months prior to that, or to Italy rather. And I was going to Rome, and he was like, When are you coming to Rome? You're staying with me. Uh, so ends up, fucking. Not I don't end up staying with him because his plans changed. But he put me up in a fucking hotel for a week brought me to his family's restaurant. I ate so much I thought I was gonna die. And then before I left, I just told him if he ever needed help to let me know. And then a few, and he was like, ah, small company, no job for you." but like, thanks very much. Um, But then a couple months later, his uh, fiance uh, became pregnant with his now first son, Gabriele, and uh, he didn't want to leave the country. It was like, you know, first son, Italy, and uh, So he was like, hey, can you do this for me? You live in the U.S., blah, blah, blah. And I was like, fuck yeah. And he was like, okay, you come to Rome next week. And then that's, and now here I am a year and two months later.
0: That's a beautiful story. I love it. So, yeah, cheers to that. What is the second mark that we have now? This is the... uh,
1: So this is the Caribbean Soul. This is the 2017 edition. Um, So this is super fun and kind of involves whiskey. In whiskey, there's a thing called a teaspoon blend, right? And oftentimes distilleries use this as a means of disallowing an independent bottler or whoever is purchasing, this, purchasing their cask to no longer use their distillery information as per Scotch law, what have you. But Italians, being the crafty ass motherfuckers that they are, use that to their advantage. Why? Because this is actually 99% Cuban rum. Now, if this was an unadulterated cask, we would have to declare this as a product of Cuba. We cannot sell that in this country. So we use the methodology of the teaspoon blend because in Scotland if you were to take two different uh, spirits from varying countries of origin and create a blend, you can no longer declare those countries. Now it is in fact a product of Scotland. So this is 99% Cuban rum from the Sanctus Spiritus distillery and, 9, and 1% um, from Outflux, so a, a defunct distillery from, from Ghana, which I find really funny because It's 1%, which seems negligible, but it absolutely impacts the profile, and it's rum that you fucking can't ever get back. Um.
0: And it's 90 proof, and yes, it says, Caribbean Soul Blended Rum, product of Scotland. Very strange indeed. Josh us. what are we saying? I said this feels, I mean, it feels and knows it like, like it's white wine cask. A white wine cask, interesting.
1: Yeah, so this would have been uh, New American Oak or potentially New French Oak. Um, now, a lot of our cooperage is more sort of diverse than it used to be, and we source from a lot of wine producers. So, potentially, this is something that is of that, uh, coming out
0: of that world. And which distillery from Cuba is most of the distillery? Uh, Sanctus Spiritus? Spiritus. Okay, Sanctus Spiritus. So, tap some over your tongue, guys. How does that experience change? Allow yourself to be surprised. I get that buttery note that you're talking about, Josh, like that white wine cask. This is molasses based juice, right? Mm hmm. Oh, it's really delicious. That rubberiness, beautiful like orange blossom. Yeah, beautifully drying. What are you getting? Lemon or a bit of citrus? Lemon, some yes, citrus, it's definitely. Definitely. How like this one?
1: What was that? How old is this one? Uh, it's 1998 and 1998 as well. Um, we had a previous edition that was called the 1998 Caribbean Soul and that was, used, it was the same sort of methodology. Uh, uh, excuse me, Cuban cask and uh, then 1% Jamaican. Um, but then because my boss was convinced that it would become too confusing, he omitted the 1998 from the second edition of it.
0: Very beautiful stuff. Say again? You want this one? For my birthday. When's your birthday? For your birthday? July 3rd. OK, I have time to save up. Yeah, we got time. <laughs> if you don't find these at your local liquor store, be sure to ask them. Most bomb pop stores will buy stuff if you ask them. It's as simple as that. What do you guys think? The Caribbean soul, Pretty delicious, right? Yeah. Very, very special rums. With our third taste of the night, what is this one going to be, Chris?
1: So this is the 2002 Barbados. Uh, Selected cask number two. This is from the Foursquare Distillery. Um, So this is bottled at 15 years old. Um, Gorgeous, gorgeous fucking rum. Gorgeous Uh, rum,
0: so uh, that's the eastern edge, uh, the eastern part of Barbados, the Foursquare Distillery mm -hmm. there. And this one is bottled at 90 proof. Again, these gorgeous labels. Yeah, each label
1: is a one-off. The graphic designer for the company is an old family friend, um, someone
0: that Antonio went to school with. A blend of pot and column stills. And how many bottles did you get out of this one?
1: That is on the back, I think it's like 288. Ah, I remember, 288.
0: Really great stuff.
1: So yeah, Foursquare obviously produces beautiful, beautiful rum. Um, I think it's really interesting to try it. Thank you very much. Uh, in this medium because it's a very different sipping experience. Um, I think that that is arguably true of all of our rums, is that they are more akin sort of to someone who, say, has no experience with rum in sort of a very in-depth way. It's arguably more akin to something like an Eau de v. Um, A lot of the Barbadian stuff that we bottle, uh, I find parallels between it and like Calvados that I have tried. Um, so I think it, but obviously, the you know, the profile on it is, is is. Can only be achieved through something that is a sugarcane distillate.
0: Okay, so explain that and why that. If 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 I'm someone who's listening to this podcast and I'm like, I don't know what Calvados is.
1: Calvados what, what is, is, uh, is apple apple brandy from France. And why would you
0: compare it to this rum?
1: Why? Um, I just feel like the brightness and the kind of like crisp uh, fruit profile that I that I receive from this is something that I don't typically receive from a 15 year old rum. And instead is something that I would find, like I could find more parallels with a calvados. And I think it's, that's what makes drinking Sam really interesting, right? Is that we're trying rum achieved through different means. Um, we are trying rum that is continentally aged and obviously we have a lot of fucking experience doing it. Uh, so it's, to me that is inherently intriguing. Uh, you've, you've taken something that people are familiar with You've taken a you know, a profile that can only be achieved through this specific means, and you've kind of turned that on its head. You've changed the the, the scent, this very like kind of sensory experience that we would have with it.
0: Beautiful. So stick your nose in this glass, guys. What are you getting from this beautiful Barbados? Blue. ice cream pear. Yeah. Uh, ice cream and pear? Uh, a green pear. A green pear. Clean fruit, like, uh, mm-hmm. clean fruit, a really clean fruit no. What are you guys getting back there? What are you reminded of as you smell this rum?
1: Plastic
0: cement. Plastic cement, delicious. V eight. <laughs> <laughs> so a vegetal thing going on. That's what I smell too. Is like there's a vegetal thing happening here for sure, for sure. Tarragon. Wow, that's really specific. A light minerality, for sure, for sure. Beautiful. And now tap some over your tongue. What else happens? How does it expand? A little scotchy, huh?
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, maybe like a much, much younger, like, greener kind of scotch. Something that's bottled under 10 years. I can yeah, see, like, a little bit of... There's a, there's a, a salinity,
0: of... for sure. There's... Yeah, but
1: then there's also, like, the grape kind of pronounced tropical fruit aspect of it. Initially, I think it's kind of like... Now, I'm getting apple. like
0: really intense guava. It tastes like guava straight up, like a big juicy guava to me. It's really specific. I'm wondering, is that like, you know, if they're doing a proprietary yeast there or is it just all natural fermentation? Like you no, know, so like this yeast? is,
1: I think the... The diversity of opinion on how it sort of registers on everyone's palate is something that Silvano was uh, acutely aware of, and this is why he, in his later years, you know, he said like before he died, he wished that he could just label everything just like Scotch whiskey and just rum, um, because he doesn't want to like right now. What we've just gone through is something that he really valued was the very the eminently personal experience that one has with a spirit, or it has with anything to do with something that is sensory, something you smell, something you taste. It is eminently personal, it strikes a certain, like, unique chord within each person. And that was something that he, you know, thought was akin to, like, sex, or to any sort of, like, great, pleasurable experience. I I think it was a
0: form of diplomacy, because not only are we having this personal experience, but we're sharing it in a public forum. Mm -hmm. If we can talk about our differences and kind of things that we're blind spotting here or there similarities that we never discovered before, that's something that we can move forward with. Mm -hmm. You know, in terms of like, we're not talking about religion, but we are talking about differences and we are learning new things about each other. And if we can emphasize that in a positive way, maybe we can make some changes that'll make the world a little bit of a better place. California babies, fuck it. (laughs) We smoke, yeah, that's what we do. We do. How do you guys like this beautiful uh, Samoroli Barbados, right? You know if they're doing any dosage before you guys. So buy yeah, it? so
1: we don't have a deliberate like hand in that process. It's it's mostly selection past that. That said, as a company, we are constantly evolving and changing. While we started with whiskey, obviously, then we bottled rum. We've bottled cognac. This this year, we've released Armin, uh, two armagnacs, one from 1925, one from 1964. So I would say that there is no. There is no finite this is what we do and then that's it. We have a principal focus, but obviously that can evolve with time, right? And so as the rum industry changes, sorry, no, 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 go as ahead. yeah, as things change and uh, as there is general intrigue uh, in the market, as there's general intrigue for us personally, I I wouldn't rule out anything.
0: So definitely some of these guys are doing dosage, that's just mm-hmm. part of the tradition. Yeah. So you guys, let's give it up for Mr. Chris Bittner. From San Really great stuff, Chris. Tell your friends about Samaroli. This is some really exclusive rum. If people are like, ah, I don't like rum, it's kind of like cheap or whatever, this is going to blow their minds, as it did mine, as it did this man. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. This show was produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spirit Guide Soc. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking,